Welcome to In Between Breaths, the podcast that talks about all kinds of relationships, family, romantic, friends, and most importantly, the relationship with yourself. I'm Scott. And I'm Alana. And this is episode three, where we're going to talk about coping mechanisms. Ooh, coping mechanisms. Yeah, both negative and positive. All the crazy things that we do to deal with life. So... We decided to start with the definition. After going through, I think, several definitions, we just felt like this was the most simple, clear, and straightforward definition that we found of coping mechanism are the strategies that people often use in the face of stress and or trauma to help manage painful or difficult emotions. That says it right there. It's about dealing with things that are deeply uncomfortable in your in your body and your mind. And yeah. facing, you know, facing them head on, doing whatever it is you have to do to to deal with it. I just want to check in right now. And I, I feel like just after I said that, I felt kind of uncomfortable. I'm like, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, am I doing this right? Am I really saying something stupid in the podcast? Am I gonna fumble a word? Sometimes I like to have marbles in my mouth when I talk. So <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my ways of dealing with a uncomfortable situation. I just kind of put it out there and I, I name it and I'm like, well, yeah, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now. When I sit there and just let it be internal, I feel like everybody's watching me and they can see what's going on. And it just kind of just takes the stress off of it. Um, no, but that's, a, that's definitely a great thing to do. Now, now you had a really good definition that you came up with for um, coping mechanisms and what they are. This for me is about, you know, not everybody fits into the same uh, little boxes. And so sometimes at the moment you can't deal with something. You don't have the capacity, you don't have the mental strength, and it's okay to take a step back from it until you're at the point where you actually can deal with it in a healthy way. So, you know, as long as you're not hiding from it, then that's okay. But like, it's okay to admit that at that moment, you can't handle it. It's okay to, to say that. So what did I write? We, we each wrote our things down on what it meant to us. I wrote down, my personal opinion is simply that coping mechanisms, at least negative ones, are to avoid uncomfortable feelings. That's all. I, I don't feel so I don't have to feel rejected. So I don't have to feel unloved, not good enough, small. Um, I don't want those things because it isn't convenient for me to feel them. I don't want to say, yes, these are all negative coping mechanisms now that I think about it, because sometimes we need to take a break from feeling those feelings because it can become too intense. You know, right. if, you, if you're dealing with someone rejecting you and you're just in rejection for, you know, weeks on end, then yes. Yep. You, you need to take a break. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. This is not medical advice. We should have <laughs> said this at the beginning of the podcast. We are not medical professionals. We're just talking here. So um, in case, in case anybody's listening, we'll be putting that in the beginning of all our podcasts now. Um, <laughs> Good idea. Alana came up with this bad breakup advice that that someone had told her <laughs> at some point probably multiple times and i i've heard this too and we decided to come up with all the bad breakup advice that we've heard or we felt was just terrible so here here's our list um the first one and probably the best one in my opinion is 
the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else that like you just said that was the best one and i just want to clarify i think you mean that because it's like the funniest but it's literally the worst advice that you could give someone like that's absolutely the last thing that you want to do like jumping into bed with some some stranger is not going to help you in any way yeah i think i think it's it's best to to deal with our feelings in an uncomfortable or a, <laughs> a constructive manner <laughs> yes <laughs> Okay, so the next thing that um, that we have on here is uh, you'll find someone else. What do you think of that one? Why? That's the first thing that pops into my head. Like, why do I have to find someone else? Like, why can't I just take this time and like enjoy, you know, being me and spending time with my friends and my family and, you know, maybe not worry about jumping into another relationship right now? Mm. you know like why do i need a relationship to define who i am i i think our i think our whole society is structured around that you should be with someone else like you need right. to share your life with someone else and that's it like being alone is almost i feel like treated as i don't want to say wrong but i want to say not the place that is where you want to be mm -hmm. yeah you know, like I'm approaching the age where I'm going to be called a spinster soon. Mm. Yeah. So how about that? That's okay. You can, I mean, what do spinsters do? They like, you know, knit sweaters and they, stuff and. No, they do what they want to do and that's it because they don't have any restraints. They don't have anyone or anything holding them back. That sounds great. What's wrong with being a spinster then? As I don't know, but our society deems it as negative. Yeah, it doesn't sound negative. Here's another one. There are plenty of fish in the sea. What do you think about that one? Uh, it's just, that is so negative because I feel like it's like, oh, they're saying there's so many fish in the sea yet. Okay, if there's so many, then like, why am I single? You know, like that just, I just don't see that as being helpful, constructive advice for anyone. That's that's interesting. I actually I, I wrote it down because it was along the same lines as, you know, it's not OK to be single like you'll. But I suppose now that I'm actually saying it out loud again, that mm -hmm. person's really just trying to say there's lots of people out there. And, right. you know, if you want to be with someone else after this, then you have options. You have plenty of options. So I'm almost going to take that one back. Whereas, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> opening up possibilities for you that, you know, if you ever want to like go fishing again, you can catch tons of fish. There's tons of fish out there that you can catch. But are they good fish? I don't know. Maybe there's plenty of fish out there. So there's got to be plenty of good ones out there too. Um, another one is let's try and get your ex back as a team. What do you think about that one? I mean, like, it depends on who's part of the team. But honestly, like, if you have to make a scheme what? to get your ex back, then it's not going to work. What if it was like the A team, like, like Hannibal and B.A. Baracus and, and all those people? <laughs> Is that, am I, am I, am I dating us in this podcast? Yeah, for sure. Well, you're really dating yourself because yeah. like I, those names would not have popped out of my mouth that quickly. I'm just really good at TV. Like I probably would have had to Google. I'm sure your parents would be so proud, yeah, but it's their fault. I really don't think that you're uh, going to try to get someone back. It would be like if you were bettering yourself, you know what I mean? Like if you had 
maybe involved yourself in some detrimental or, you know, unhealthy habits or behaviors that cause the downfall of the relationship. Other than that, like, what do you do? Are you going to like kidnap your ex, make them get back with you, like throw a hood over them and grab them in the back of a van? Like, I don't see how that's helpful. I don't know that that's what they were suggesting. It's interesting that you went there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I I pictured it like, you know, there would be like some like romantic gestures involved, like some possibly flowers or poems or, you know, the, the, the whole like sitting there with a boombox above your head out of somebody's window. I don't know. Now you're dating yourself. Um, I would think that if whatever it was that happened to cause a breakup, if flowers could fix it, you know what I mean? I guess I'm thinking like much more bigger picture because if it's something as like so little that flowers and a nice dinner could fix, then you probably wouldn't have broken up in the first place. Yeah. I I was going to mention therapy too, but you know, that's, that didn't get in there for some reason. I, started going into movies again um (laughs) but the stuff you're mentioning sounds like the next one that we have you should get revenge on your ex that is where you put the hood over them and you leave them in a ditch and (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's just not healthy for you like you know if you're dwelling on the the negative that you want to you want to hurt someone in the way you know because you're hurting like that's not no good because yeah. you're just going to end up hurting yourself more. Well, let's go you through know, the, the other two and um, and we'll, we'll move on to the unhealthy and healthy coping strategies. Um, so the other ones are get drunk. And the other one is uh, time will heal all wounds, even though it's really not about the amount of time because some people are just, they never get over it in their entire life because they never mm-hmm. do the work to actually heal themselves. So that's it. I do want to stress that it's, you know, getting over someone, it's not about time. It's never about time. It's about really doing the work to find out what is underneath that hurt and what you need to do to work on yourself and move past the hurt and resolve it. So let's, let's get on with the uh, unhealthy negative coping strategies. All right. So our first one is one of my favorites. It's definitely one of my favorite things to do. It's numbing. And it says that some individuals may pursue behavior to disconnect from how they're feeling. And some popular ones are drinking, using drugs. drugs. Yeah, excessive excessive food amounts, over-exercising. Yeah, well, th- back to the excessive food amounts, I mean, like, here's another um, thing about breakups. Like, what do you do? Like for a girl, after you break up, you watch a romantic comedy and eat a pint of ice cream. Mm. Right. Never been a girl. You tell me don't, it's not a question. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're supposed to do. Indulging in those, you know, in something, whatever it is to take your mind off of whatever it is you don't want to think about. I think that's just, you know, for me, it's part of being Italian. Yeah. Food Uh, is life. For those of you who don't know, we're we're Italian, so yeah, that, we're Sicilian. Um, I, okay. I I want to just make that that clear. I think that people, some people, would be upset if uh, that wasn't clarified. Not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
And once again, this is a podcast about all types of relationships, even families. But yeah, numbing is this, uh, just this, this thing where you just, you try to take away the pain by using something else to really distract yourself. And, and yeah, food is a great example for, for me too, because food, when you eat food, it releases endorphins in your body and endorphins are the body's natural way of release dealing with pain. You'll notice that as you eat more food and have to distract more that the endorphins don't kick in quite as fast. So mm-hmm. that's what numbing is. It's the same thing for drugs and alcohol. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's going to take more and more. You're going to, you may be getting drunk for the, you know, fifth night in a row. And you suddenly realize that I know this has happened to me that I'm still feeling like crap and the, the alcohol isn't doing it for me. It's not taking away right. that pain. Like I'm still feeling it through the alcohol, through whatever it is, numbing exercise, name your numbing exercise that you're doing. And I'm still feeling it through it. Like it's going to take a whole lot more. I might have to get blackout drunk tonight. Right. And then you're going to end up feeling worse. It it ends up, you know, coming full, full cycle. And the thing that you're using to numb the other feelings ends up bringing more darkness and bad things into your life. And the hangover is a killer. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. The second unhealthy negative coping mechanism is unhealthy self-soothing, self-soothing, unhealthy self-soothing. Certain behaviors can become unhealthy if done in excess and can become unhealthy coping mechanisms if done too often to soothe discomforting feelings. Now, very similar to, to numbing, abusing drugs, alcohol, rebound relationships, overworking, overcommitting, overeating, people pleasing, sex, love, and unemotional sex we put in there too. So yeah, these are these are just different ways. I mean, they're, they're, I think they're different from numbing because they're a way to try to give value to yourself. And that's really the right. difference between what numbing and, and self-soothing is. Self-soothing is kind of a way to, that these aren't necessarily all terrible terrible things to do, not all of them. However, these things are, we do these things to make value in our lives of some sort. So this one's, this one's, this one's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. You said it. Go ahead. Not dealing with the emotions and trying to avoid the pain in a way where you convince yourself that it doesn't exist. Like you create this fantasy land in your head where everything's okay and you're happy and nothing's wrong and la di da di da and it's just that does it you know it might work for us a, a short period of time but it, it's not a solution yeah and I think it comes when your your mind is just really overloaded with stuff and this is right. breakups are a great example of of this because you know refusing to acknowledge that you actually had a breakup that this is actual permanent thing that's that's something i've done several times ignoring your feelings you know one-sided contact where you're you know you're trying to uh, maintain contact with the other person isn't very different than maybe a healthy friendship after a relationship which can happen mm-hmm. sometimes but both people have to want it yeah i think that's the point that needs to be made there 
Yeah, definitely drive home that point. Because the other the other one is, I believe, stalking or yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what else it is, or it's just annoying. And uh, begging for a second chance. You know, I know this is like this is one that 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 people do because I mean, God, every like every TV show, book, you know, whatever that there's this these two people that are like in a relationship and a, and a breakup happens and it's mm -hmm. everyone's like, Oh, it was meant to be like, that's the, the storyline. And right. the person, one person goes and they say, I have to beg you for a second chance. And, you know, let's, let's make this work. And they do some grand gesture yeah. and it's all, it's all good. And, you know, it, but if it doesn't work out, then the begging is just seems like it's pathetic. It's not, it's not good for anyone. And, and in reality, a lot of times I think, I think begging is, you know, if you have to, I think we talked about this before, is that if you have to beg someone to be in a relationship from you, what the hell are you doing right. in that relationship in the first place? Like, why do you have to right. beg someone to be with you? Either it's not right and they don't want to be in the relationship or they're playing some sort of game with you. They're gaslighting the hell out of you. Exactly. Yeah, you Definitely. If you have to beg that, then there is something seriously wrong somewhere, you know, whether it's with you or with them, either way, you don't want to be in a relationship that has that, that part to it at all. Um, the next one is escape. And oh, that's, that's just becoming socially isolated or drawing from friends or family. You know, if the escape is used as a coping mechanism, such as, you know, you're, you're entrenched in this in this book and you just won't stop reading it you don't take a breath you know watching tv constantly um spending time online constantly there's there's a thousand other ways that you can do this like refusing refusing help and just you know shutting yourself in you're losing you start to lose sight of you where this breakup mm -hmm. becomes your whole existence yeah you're just swallowed up by it and you're you're actually swallowed up by the things that are that are trying to prevent you from looking at this breakup where it just becomes this never-ending cycle of you've been in a breakup for three years now it doesn't need to define you as a person you know I, I mentioned to you before that i did this after a breakup like i refused to leave my room like the only time i i left the house was to go to work and that was it and it did nothing but cause more issues for me. But unfortunately, like where I was at that time is I had to, you know, I literally had to hit bottom before I realized that there was more to me than just that relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel that too. Actually, uh, <laughs> I wonder about that sometimes. I'm like, is there more to me? And I mean, I know the answer is yes. I'm having trouble seeing it right now. The next one is compulsion. So a person can be uh, not only physically or mentally damaging, or I'm sorry, this can become not only physically or mentally damaging, but can also bring about criminal implications. So um, some are seeking revenge, stalking, theft, reckless driving, physical abuse to, and we're saying to the other person, and also, of course, self-harm, because that's definitely a thing too. Yeah, like you become so obsessed with this idea and like you can't 
bear the thought of not being with that person. So you do, you know, crazy and reckless things either in an attention seeking manner, you know, just yeah. maybe like you do something crazy to so you can call them and be like, oh, I need help. I need you. Or, you know, you do things to hurt them because you're hurt. And that's you, what you think at the time is the best resolution to the situation is to cause that other pain, person pain as well. I think that's that that the attention that you you mentioned, I think that's a thing for like middle child. I actually had this uh a conversation with my dad recently about um, about something that I did as a kid. Like, I think I ran outside because everybody was fighting or something. And uh, like, I just got really mad and I ran outside without my jacket on and I wouldn't come in because I was so pissed off. And like, I was thinking back to it and I was like, I was trying to get attention. Like no one was paying attention to me. Like other stuff was going, they were all off in their own thing, being mad or whatever the heck they were doing. I don't even remember what it was. And I, I just need some attention. Like you guys got to give me attention. And the only right. thing, the only way I knew how to do that was to run out into the snow with, you know, with no jacket on and probably a short sleeve shirt. And everyone stopped and they're like, oh, they just, they just like all of a sudden their, their bubble bursts and they like, they paid attention to me. They're like, this kid needs help. And I was like, this is a strategy for me now. And it was something I had to break out of too, because I was taught, oh, that worked. Right. Well, do you also think that maybe because you were young and so the situation that you were in was uncomfortable because if there were the fighting going on in the house and because you had no other way to stop it, that that's something that you did to stop the fighting, you know, you took the focus off of that and put it onto you in order to stop the the conflict maybe maybe i think that was part of it but i think i think it was really when i feel into it it's it was really about the attention that through certain parts of my life because there were other more important things going on and it was no one else's fault necessarily but that is right. what ended up happening and you know there were points where i was just like i just i just need some attention i just need you to look at me and notice i'm here <laughs> Right. You know, as an adult, you can look at that as your parents maybe thought you were so well adjusted that you didn't need that extra attention. That's right. They did you think know? I was well adjusted. And and literally there was a war going on inside of me as a kid. That's how well adjusted I was. I was so good at repressing all my stuff. That was my coping mechanism. That's another one to be quiet. It's it was just I, I I avoided everything. And no one had any idea that this was going on inside of you. All this hurt and pain and suffering. Nope. But that's and and that's that's a normal thing these days. People are like, don't cry, don't don't right. show your emotions, don't do this because it's uncomfortable for other people. Really right. uncomfortable that, for them. Right. You don't want to make anyone else uncomfortable, so you should just suck it up and and deal with the ramifications yourself. Never the answer. So. The next one is projection, projecting your issues onto that other person and not accepting your responsibility. So one is jumping right into another relationship, just saying, well, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing I got to work on, nothing I got to heal, nothing I got to get over. I'm just going to jump right in and I'm going to make it someone else's problem. Then uh, constantly talking about your ex or trash talking your ex. So not taking responsibility for your part, basically just saying, well, it was all them. They're just crazy or, you know, they're a bad person. Always making it someone else's fault. That's part of playing the victim. 
I think uh, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in how hurt we are that we just simply play the victim. You know, we forget that we are also responsible for things that happened in a relationship of any kind, you know, whether that be romantic, family, friendship, whatever. So the first thing that um, pops into my head about that is for me, one of the really bad defense mechanisms that I acquired over the years that I've been working on are things that I've said to other people in like the heat of an argument. So for me, like my number one go-to defense mechanism was just to literally eviscerate the other person with words. Because I learned, unfortunately, from a very young age that words can be so painful and they can really hurt. So the second that I was feeling any sort of pain, I would try and hurt you worse than you had hurt me. So looking back on relationships like I am definitely responsible for causing pain in that way and that was it took a long time for me to realize that and take responsibility for it it's just so unhealthy it's just brutal I was just watching your face as you talked about how you were just dismantling people's feelings with your words and like I I felt I felt kind of scared because you had this like face like I'm gonna get you like (laughs) sort of face and I just I felt fear inside of me and I know that feeling too where you want to hurt them worse than they hurt you because you've been hurt that bad that's when the other part of me came in and like this is not necessarily just aggression there's so much hurt underneath that aggression. I think that's a really important thing to understand that I never understood is when someone actually going at you like that, it's it's all from hurt. They're not doing it because necessarily right. they're aggressive yeah, or like, they're a bad person. Uh, in my adult life, you know, dealing with people on a daily basis, like there's definitely been situations I've been in with strangers in which they have yelled at me or, you know, been mean for no reason. And 20 years ago, I would have just went into attack mode. But today I realized that like, you don't know what that person is dealing with. Everyone you meet is, is fighting some sort of battle. And you know what, maybe in that moment, they were losing that battle and they just couldn't handle it. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and it's not for me to, you know, to come to, to come back with that aggression knowing this now as an adult i think it's normal to want to defend yourself i just think that um that it just helps it helps me take it and sometimes not have to respond when i have a little bit of empathy when i remember that empathy and you know i admit it's hard to do because when someone's flying off the handle at you then it's hard to do (laughs) in that moment because your brain says defend defend or attack or whatever exactly but when cooler heads prevail you do realize that if that person is getting to that level then they're they're obviously hurting so badly and spewing unkind words back to them is just going to hurt both of you Mm. oh that charges me up inside Well, because you know what, when you're in a relationship, your partner and you share your deepest, darkest secrets. And I would use those as weapons. And it's not something I'm proud of. But I think the the look on my face that you alluded to before was more the pain of me thinking about my parents doing that to one another and me watching that because that's where I learned it. I I learned it from watching you. Right. Exactly. You know, that's how my parents communicated. That's how we learn about 
how to deal with relationships and life. Yeah. From our parents, we watch our parents and we're like, okay, that's the way they did it. That's the way it's going to be. That's what it is. Yeah. Like I literally thought eat shit and die was a a greeting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, For going self-care, it's important to do things for you. And that's what we wrote down. And it's important to do things for you in very capital letters especially when you're hurting, when you're feeling uncomfortable, right? Yeah, exactly. Like do things that make you happy, you know, take the time out and, you know, go for a walk or, you know, take time out to smell the roses, just do something healthy that literally just brings you joy. You know, it's funny. I should mention this is part of being, being a life coach and going through a lot of different life coaching exercises with myself is that I notice both in myself and my clients is that sometimes it's really difficult for people to figure out what those things that bring you joy in your life are, especially when you're going through a a transformative process in your life where everything's changing. Like I, I I remember sitting there and thinking, well, what brings me joy right now? There isn't a damn thing that I can do that would make me happy. And that is so not true. Because right. the minute I started trying to figure it out, the minute I started doing things, I realized, oh yeah, that's um, that does bring that does make me happy. You know, running right. makes me happy. Running makes me feel better. And it's like this trap in our mind that like it just says nothing is going to make us feel better. Because those clouds overhead can get really big and really dark, and they just overshadow everything. But sometimes it's just the smallest things, like going outside and feeling the sunshine on your face. Let's uh, start talking about positive coping mechanisms. So our first positive coping mechanism is support, relying on friends, family, coworkers to help us feel confident about moving forward and, you know, to help navigate us through difficult situations. So some of those examples might be meeting a friend and chatting, setting goals for yourself, setting an exercise program or regiment, um, joining a meetup group for an activity or um, accepting help from others when it's offered. Yeah. Like that last one can be quite difficult to do, but you know, can really, really pay off because, you know, with also accepting that help, um, that person can help keep you accountable and help you stick to the goals that you set for yourself and, and really make progress on your journey to a more healthy place. I agree. I agree. It's definitely very difficult. And I think it's also important to realize that when you accept help from others, you're just saying, I am worthy to receive this help. You're creating value mm-hmm. for yourself. And I think that's especially when you're in a traumatic situation, when something in your life has just gone crazy, you have to tell yourself, hey, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. Right. I got, I deserve help. I deserve this. Because otherwise you're saying, I don't deserve this. I am not worthy of anything. It just pushes you down. You just said three so important words that we really haven't touched on. I am worthy. That is something that regardless of what it is you're dealing with in life, you cannot forget. You are worthy. You are worthy of everything and anything. Yeah, I agree. The next positive coping mechanism is relaxation. Sometimes when we're recovering from any type of traumatic thing that happens in our lives, we are in a space where we're doing nothing or we're just doing everything. And in both of those cases, 
we forget to practice doing good things for ourselves. We're either running around like chickens with our heads cut off, just doing thing after thing after thing, or we're just so lethargic that we can't do anything. We can't even like do the dishes. So right. it's so important to make time for things like, I think we put down taking a hot shower, getting a massage, reading a book, meditating. And this is probably not going to apply for a lot of guys, but maybe it is getting your nails or your hair done. So maybe getting a haircut if you're a guy, because that always makes me feel good. Yeah. You know, doing little things for yourself. It really, you don't realize how much those little things can really just give you little boost that you need. Just cleaning my house sometimes, not living in a messy environment yep. just makes me feel so much better. I could do all the things towards my goal and my house could be messy and I still feel terrible. And then once I yep. clean my house, things seem so much better. Like it just kind of puts me in a space where I want to do other things. It's amazing how much of a difference that makes, how true that is. Well, that's one thing that very successful people always mention that the first thing they do when they get up in the morning is make their bed. And I didn't really understand it. I started doing it. And it really, it helps set the tone for my day because I feel that in that moment, everything in my little world, my little universe is under control in that instant. So that's how I'm starting my day and going off into the world, like with this kind of this piece that I've started my day in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Although I'll admit, I don't make my bed every day. Mm, not because I don't want to be successful. I, I don't know that I know super too many super successful people anyway. So the reason I don't make my bed every day is because for me, it became compulsive. So what's next? Next is constructive problem solving. Focus on a solution rather than sinking into the problem. And that's, that's, that's such an important point because we forget to zoom out and we're like, everything is so bad. It's, it just overwhelms us. We just, we zoom out so far that we're seeing this huge picture when, you know, it might help us to zoom in and focus on one problem at a time for, you know, just ask yourself some simple questions and write them down. Do I need a place to live? Yes or no. Do I need to find a job or talk with my employer about what's going on? Are there things about me that I need to change or, or focus on more? What are the goals in my life? Opening up to every possibility and being receptive to change. And, and that's one of the things that right there, I think is the most, one of the most important things when you have a traumatic experience. You don't want your life to change a lot of times. And because of that experience, it has changed. The longer you resist the change, the longer you get stuck being in, in trauma. Being open to change is one of the things that's just going to get you through any experience because you think, you know what, I can, if you're open to change, you can deal with anything. If you're open yeah. to change, you can overcome anything. It doesn't matter how your life looks. It doesn't matter how your life changes. It doesn't matter what you're attached to at one point. Yeah, because, you know, it, it can be different tomorrow and then the day after that. It's just all about being open to it. And knowing again, once again, that you're, you're worthy of it. 
you're worthy of all the good things that can come from it. The next thing on our list was humor. I think making an effort to laugh in the midst of stress is to gain some kind of perspective and release some tension is really important because you tend to get serious when when mm -hmm. something happens. You have a sad face or you have a serious face or you're like, I need to get through this and you're just your whole body's contracting. Humor just kind of loosens it up a little bit. Yeah, some levity in the situation. And I think we wrote down to, to stress, do not <laughs> do it for everything. Not everything needs to be a joke. Time and place, do, do, it, do it. it with a grain of salt. But humor is important. We all like to laugh. Yes. And it's good to also be able to laugh at yourself. Good point. You know? Because when you're in one of those states where, you know, everything is stressing you out, even the littlest things can set you off. Like I know for me, like, you know, if I drop something, it's like the end of the world, but you know, it's really not that big of a deal. And, you know, you can find humor in those moments too. I think that's a really good point because that's, that's, I think that's when we lose it the most, the most quickly is when something happens to us and we don't find the humor in it. We're like, right. this is the most terrible situation in the world <laughs> because I dropped my pen and now I have to bend over and pick it up. Like, what the hell exactly. is the world coming to? <laughs> right. It's literally at that moment, it's earth shattering when any other time it would be not that big of a deal. And I should stress too, um, I don't think we wrote this down, but since we're talking about it, when something like that happens, if you can't laugh, Go ahead and go ahead and cry about it. Go ahead and just feel yep. devastated about it and feel what's coming up in that moment. Because if you just push it down and you just clamp down on it, it's just going to feel worse. And you're dropping your pen will be the most devastating thing in the world. It's got to come out one way. Release it. Exercise is the next thing on our list. Uh, going to the gym, releasing some cortisol, um, which is the stress hormone. Working out has been physically proven to reduce stress, anxiety, and other discomforting sensations. So it's, I know it's been real important for me, um, just getting up and being, saying, I'm going to run at least four days a week before work. I don't know what it is. It's, it just, it just makes me feel different after I ran. Like I, I, I roll into work and I already feel like I'm awake and I've accomplished something and I've done something good for myself. And I can tell like the days that I do and don't run the difference in my mood. It's just, it's, it's, it's light years apart. Yeah. Well, and also when you're exercising, you're most likely also getting better sleep. So it's literally helping everything. It comes full cycle with you. You know, you're doing multiple things with, you know, you exercising multiple things that will, it'll help your mood, it'll help your body. And it's just it's so good for you. And, and I should stress too, this is something that I personally like to do is I hate doing exercise where it's work. And I like to do exercise that is fun. So, you know, for me, it's like going hiking, going surfing, you know, there's, there's a couple different things. Running is fun for me. So I, I do, I do that, but there's so many things that you can do that can be fun. That can also be exercising. You know, maybe if you have kids, you know, run after your kids for, you know, half hour that that's probably pretty tiring. So that, try to find <laughs> something that's fun because when it's work, ah, it's just terrible. 
and it doesn't always lighten your mood. You're just, sometimes you get frustrated. So see if you can find at least one thing that you do in your exercise that's fun. Yeah, like go explore your neighborhood or go explore a, a museum, like anything like that. The next thing on our list is positive self-soothing. So working through your feelings, allowing them to come up and embracing uh, the scared child inside of you. Especially during a breakup, we have this other person that helps soothe us. You know, we can go to them. And after a breakup, not so much. We don't necessarily have this person anymore. And we have to figure out how to make our body respond to different ways to soothe yourself. And these could be some of the, you know, positive things that we talked about earlier, you know, humor or problem solving or relaxation or any, any of the different things support. It can, you can use any of these things to positively self-soothe you and try not to use some of the things that we talked about earlier in the negative section. Whereas, you know, some people will use drugs, alcohol, you know, sex, you know, whatever, whatever it might be to get out of a really painful situation. So whenever the, the, the thing is, whenever you notice pain is coming up, that's how you know yeah. you want to get into a space where you're positively self-soothing yourself. Yeah. And that it's something that you can use in so many different situations. It doesn't even have to be something as traumatic as a breakup. It could be a some altercation that you get into at work or even feeling just stressed out at work or, you know, throughout your everyday life, like being able to, you know, reel yourself in a little bit and bring yourself back to that happy place. Just like in, just like in Happy Gilmore, I'm just keep going with the movie references that are really old. Go to your happy place. <laughs> That's and, it. And something we wrote down too is um, even if you don't recognize your experience as positive, you can make it a positive thing in your life by reframing. And this, this is also, I think applies to self-soothing. Whenever something is happening that's feeling painful, try seeing how it's actually going to work for you. See how this can be a positive in any way, even if it's just a small little way that you find that it's positive. Just go ahead and, and reframe it in that way and it'll help. Yeah. I mean, even from the way that I do that in situations that are inherently bad or negative is I look at how I grew from it. Like, what did I learn from that situation? And how did that situation either make me a better or a stronger person? You know, even if it's just one thing that you learned about yourself, I really, I don't like it when my boss calls me out like that, you know, something like that, you know, it's something else that you learned about yourself. And it's something else that you can put in your, your little toolbox that can help you in the future. Yeah. I think every experience is a learning experience. It's just whether we're willing to figure out or take the time to really recognize what we're supposed to learn in that moment. And right. sometimes you're not going to be ready and that's okay. Sometimes you're just not going to be ready to learn at that moment. However, if you can put yourself in a space of, I'm going to learn from this, there's so much you can take from every situation. And so much you can grow, so many ways you can get stronger. And I think that's that's the point of all these positive coping mechanisms is to find different ways to turn it around and turn it into a positive way that you can work with this experience. And then the more you bring yourself into um, a calmer state, a place where you can you can learn, the more you're going to learn from it. And that's what all this is. It's, it's putting you into a space that is not 
there's only there's only one possibility or there's two possibilities it's it's a way to open up more possibilities as opposed right. to making it more narrow that's all i got do you do you have anything else thanks for bringing some things into your life telling us how you dismantle people with your words that yeah. is uh that was very interesting and a little bit scary. Um, join us next time where we talk about something something else that's, uh, what are we going to talk it's about? going to be really fun and exciting. Or maybe I'll show you how I can dismantle Scott. Mm. Mm. That, should, that should be interesting. I don't think that'll be, that'll be like a bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> a teaser. Uh, thank you for joining us on In Between Breaths. And uh, we'll see you again soon. And don't forget that you are worthy.